Welcome back to another exciting edition of Plank of the Week. We are, we are unfortunately still unable to film it, but we are told that we will be able to film it again very soon uh, when we reopen the studios downstairs here at News UK. I'm delighted to say uh, that I'm in the company today of Emma Webb, uh, who is, of course, a one of the great members of the commentariat. I don't think that's an insult to say that, Emma, is it? Uh, and Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, my colleague here at Talk Radio, uh, who goes on uh, Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock, uh, as I go on Monday to Friday at 10 o'clock. Very good afternoon to both of you. Hello, Mike. Thank you. Now, I mean, there have been many great weeks for Plank of the Week, but I think this past week might actually be one of the kind of gold standard of Plank Weeks because there have been so <laughs> many Planks, so much to talk about. Um, it's going to be quite difficult to, to narrow it all down to three each, but that's what we're going to try and do. Um, Emma, I'm going to come to you first and ask you who your first Plank of the Week is. Well, as you say, it's difficult because it's been raining hypocrites this week. Um, <laughs> my, my first... Um, is the the plankiest and prattiest uh, example of them, Alistair Campbell. Oh, yes. Uh, So Alistair Campbell obviously realised that he had embarrassed himself horribly on Twitter when he posted a uh, a video of himself doing a kind of impression of Boris um, wearing a a regimental guards tie and some uh, military badges that I I think uh, it was in the news and on social media that these particular um, medals that he was wearing, mm. uh, medals that some people had been given when their when their children had you know been killed in action in, in been killed in action in Northern Ireland, yeah. and that this is all that they they were given for that. Um, and so Johnny Mercer, um, as as well as some other veterans, came out saying that. This was a horrific insult and, and mocking the armed forces as well as mocking um, the Queen because he did a bit of a short impression of her as well. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the whole thing was so completely cringy. Um, and he obviously realised in hindsight after all of the um, hubbub around it that he he really embarrassed himself quite badly. But I think it's just an example of, it, just as we've seen with so many celebrities throughout lockdown as well, that off the back of um, the the Cummings debate, he seemed to have become um, completely um, deranged and unhinged yeah. over it. Um, that so much so that he thought that this was a good idea and imagined that it was going to go down well, mocking the armed forces. I mean, it's incredible to watch. I actually thought that he had had some kind of breakdown. It was that mad. It was that crazy. Um, Kevin, I don't know whether you saw this, but but he also yeah, did, um, yeah. he, he also had a very weird moment on BBC TV when they were interviewing him about something, and he used the F word. It just kind of came out uh, describing something that Boris Johnson had effed, for want of a better word. I'm not going to say it on here. Um, yeah. But I mean, he did, I mean, I seriously thought here he, he's going to have to check himself in somewhere. Well, his his tweets yeah. are becoming uh, increasingly angry, increasingly demented. And as you just said, Mike, they're becoming full of swear words. Mm. He is, uh, uh, if nothing else, he's either going mad or he is completely furious and, and unhinged by the fact that nobody's listening to him, that he has no power. He's a man who had power in the past. He's got none now and he can't take it. He's unraveling. Yeah. It really is. It's quite remarkable to watch because I've actually said this in the past. I don't have a problem with Alistair Campbell as an individual. You know, I know a lot of people really don't like him. But, I mean, you know, he can give as good as he gets. If you get him on the radio and you argue with him, you know, he doesn't take it personally, you know, because he is this kind of mad machine 
politically. Um, but Emma, I mean, I, I, I just he, he, he basically deleted that tweet. But unfortunately for him, um, he doesn't seem to have remembered that everybody else has screen grabbed it and has now saved it for posterity. And they'll probably wheel it out on various occasions whenever they want to embarrass him. What a tweet to delete, though. What a tweet to delete, to go to all that effort, dressing up your disguise, your medals and your, your angry rant, and then you delete it. So he clearly feels that he made a bit of a mistake there, and I think we agree. Yeah, well, I think in even Help for by... Heroes were against it, Emma, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, in a way, by deleting the tweet, he's made himself seem even more unhinged and unbalanced. Yes. He just seems to completely drifted away from reality entirely. Yeah, it really is quite remarkable. Now, I suppose there'll be more of that to come, uh, Kevin, when we get closer and closer to the point of no return with the European Union, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, and, and uh, the, the, the Alistair Campbells of this world, uh, the Remainer elite, are going to get more and more furious because what, what I think, what I know that they were holding their hopes out for was that because of coronavirus, because of the COVID-19 crisis, we'll have to delay leaving Europe again, leaving the EU. And it looks as if uh, the government are going to dig their heels in and make sure we do leave. And that's going to make Campbell and his mates even more yes. furious. It, wonder... it always comes back to the EU, doesn't it? It really does. I wonder if you've got a nominee that you could bring to us who uh, is uh, going to be one of those people who's going to try and stop it all happening. Well, by an extraordinary coincidence, Mike, <laughs> I do have one. Well done. Yes, um, <laughs> Uh, well, isn't that fortunate? Mm. Uh, Sir Ed Davey. Oh, yes. uh, the Sir, the Sir, he's the leader, uh, the sort of kind of leader of the um, uh, Lib Dems. Uh, he's so bad that they haven't given him the job, even <laughs> though anyone could do it better than Joe Swinson. Remember Joe Swinson? Oh, yeah. My Whatever God, happened to why her? did they give her the job? Mm. And she was just catastrophically useless, and you could see it from day one. Anyway, Sir Ed typical of the Lib Dems and typical of the Remainer faction, is you know, deeply and disturbingly obsessed with us staying in the EU, even though we're going to leave. And so last week, uh, unbeknownst to anyone, quietly, he slipped a bill into uh, the parliamentary proceedings, uh, which would have uh, uh, committed us to two more years in the EU. Uh, because, of course, the coronavirus crisis is so extreme mm. and we can't possibly leave Europe right now. So another two years. Is that OK? Um, now, fortunately, it was spotted. It's not going to go through. Uh, the government will prevail because the government's got um, uh, 400 seats, uh, around about 400 seats, and uh, Ed Davey and his party have about two. <laughs> uh, so uh, he's not going to get his wish. But I, I just think that he in particular it just symbolises this madness of these people. You lost the referendum. The people made a democratic decision. We have to go through with it. You've got to stop doing this. What is the matter with Ed Davey, Andy Phil? But the one good thing about Ed is that at least he's finished his fast for Ramadan. <laughs> Why did he do that? Well, Why did he go on a fast for Ramadan? He's not, uh, to my knowledge, a Muslim. No, it's certainly a very odd choice to, of, of a thing. And he had, I mean, that was a very odd video that he put out as well because he seemed to be doing it in a room filled with smoke, Emma. I'm not quite sure why it was so bad looking. But, you know, um, sort of trying to eat something or not eat something. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, but, yeah, he's a very odd character. And when are they going to appoint the proper... Is he acting leader of the Lib Dems, Emma? When are they going to actually appoint the real leader? Oh, God knows. Are the Lib Dems even relevant anymore? I don't know. I just... I don't think um... they were ever relevant. 
there seem there just seems to be absolutely no limit to their desperate pathetic attempts at subterfuge um just as you're saying you know just let it go it's it's happened you have to accept the democratic mandates trying to find ways around it especially because you know with all of the stuff around coronavirus as well um the then they have been panicking about or at least using arguments about the economy um, as, a, as a reason why Brexit would be so terrible. Um, but they're not the loudest voices against lockdown. Um, and I, I fail to see how the, the damage is going to be that much worse. Uh, when we come out of this in any way. Mm. No, exactly. Yeah, I'll tell you one, one, thing about, one thing about the EU. I mean, it's had a terrible coronavirus crisis. It really has had a bad war. Uh, it hasn't managed to say anything that was worth listening to. It hasn't brought any uh, uh, significant measures in to tackle the crisis. Uh, and all the country, the member countries of the EU, instead of turning to Brussels and saying, can you help, has basically said, sod Brussels, we're going to look after ourselves. <laughs> so the basic ethos of the EU has crumbled before our very mm. eyes. And our addiction to saying, oh, it's so important for trade that we stay in the EU, we can forget about that. The whole trading system of the world after coronavirus is going to change. Mm. And the basis for wanting to be in the EU trade-wise is going to crumble and fade away. Uh, we will be trading with the rest of the world, probably more than Europe. So it doesn't have that power over us anymore. Ed Davey has, and his mob have failed to see that the goalposts have significantly changed because of uh, coronavirus, that the old trading rules will no longer exist. So what's the point of the EU? Well, that's a very good point. And, of course, um, it's not the first time they've got it so completely wrong, have they? Because these are the same people who thought Joe Swinson uh, back in December was going to be the next Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain. So, well, I mean... Be fair, be fair, Mike. She was really, really good at furrowing her brow yes. and moving her arms theatrically, theatrically and movingly yes. to, to denote how serious she was about improving Britain and making everyone's lives better. Yes. She was uh, fantastic. The, the world's... Worst political leader. Ever. So, tragically, couldn't even win her own a seat to get back into Parliament, but there we are. Um, I'm going to put uh, my first nomination up to Durham. I'm going to give it to Durham Police. Now, uh, you might be a bit surprised by that, but they have behaved remarkably uh, like planks because, first of all, uh, when Dominic Cummings went up to see uh, his parents or to stay in his parents' farm, you know, his father rings them up to tell them this, that this has happened. Uh, they fail to see any kind of reason to uh, discuss it at any point. They fail to think of anything uh, that he might be doing that's breaking the lockdown rules. And instead, they give him some advice about how to stay secure uh, in case everybody wants to try and kill him, uh, given that he's quite an important figure in the government. Um, they then later, uh, after loads of people, some of whom making it up, reported the fact that they'd seen him all over the place, do another uh, sort of investigation at which they claim they were going to, quote, establish the facts. I found this particularly interesting because Pippa Carrera from The Mirror put out um, uh, a piece, a tweet saying, you know, that the uh, Durham police are now going to establish the facts of the case, to which I said to her, surely they should have established the facts of the case before you printed the story. Uh, otherwise, you know, I, I call that rather sloppy journalism but anyway so they then look maybe in... the mirror could have established the facts before they still well, went up there for a second time well exactly didn't. right and they still haven't apologized for the fact that the second guy basically told lies that he was there when he wasn't there uh, and he's yeah, been very happy to point that out but they then come back with this ludicrous and mealy-mouthed kind of a statement in which they say he might have broken the rules but they're not very sure i mean 
I'm not really, I'm not really sure what his facts they've then established. They said he certainly didn't break the rules by going to Durham. That's one. Uh, but when he went to um, to that place uh, called Barnard Castle, which is now the most famous place in Britain, uh, which I'd never heard of before, uh, apparently uh, he might have broken the rules. Well, surely he either broke them or he didn't break them. How could he maybe broke the rules? Well, how, how does that work, Emma? Well, the fact that the police and, and also the journalists seem to be, or maybe perhaps they're not, not the journalists so much because they're absolutely sure for their own reasons the rules. Mm. Um, but the fact that the police are not 100% sure at this point in the debate just goes to show that there is a little bit of wiggle room in them. And that there is clearly um, a, a grey zone that perhaps Cummings was operating in. I, I just happen to think that, um, you know, that it's it's not an issue regardless. He's not an elected official. So mm. it's... It, Thing that um, has led to this this amount of fury, um, but it just it just seems uh, extremely clear to me that um, if the if Durham police don't know, and there is all of this um, confusion around the enforcement of lockdown and what's okay and what's not, that that it's not really news. It's not it's not something that they should be taking so seriously. No, it really isn't because as we've seen over the course of the last few days, uh, there's been quite a lot of people in politics who seem to have. Uh, had a rather, shall we say, interesting relationship with the truth when it comes to lockdown. <laughs> yes. What's your second I mean, one, Emma? Uh, so my my second nomination uh, related to that is Rosie Duffin. Oh, yes. Uh, she's the Labour MP for Canterbury. Um, and for context, she, she during the whole uh, Cummings debate, had been tweeting about how um, awful it was that he had... Um, broken lockdown, um, retweeting others who were who were going uh, in hard on him as well. Um, and now it turns out that she has herself broken lockdown and <laughs> broken lockdown in a far more, pardon the pun, explicit way than Dominic Cummings had, um, because she had been, or at least at one point, had met up with her married lover. Um, and she then asked, and this is, I, I, I find particularly um, amusing. Um, she apologised and resigned from her position um, on the front bench. Um, but she also said that she would hope that there would be some understanding that it was a difficult situation because her married partner's or her married lover's home life was breaking down at the time. Um, and that she hoped that there would be some understanding of that <laughs> difficult situation. Um, even though there was, of course, absolutely no leeway or forgiveness when it came to Dominic Cummings, even though his situation was far more understandable. Right. Uh, and by, obviously... by the way, by the way uh, when you go for a walk with your lover or your friends or uh, you know family, whatever, do you often go for a five-hour walk? <laughs> five hours? I mean, I've walked to the pub. What were they and, doing uh, during this walk? I've walked to the pub and stood, stayed there for four and a half hours and then walked home again. <laughs> Uh, which that could take five hours. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine what they could have been doing. I mean, there seems to be um, a remarkable level of uh, what can only be described as moral turpitude going on uh, within the Labour Party, which, of course, I would never uh, give them a hard time about. Um, but it does make them rather hypocritical when it comes to criticising everybody else because they all seem to be, you know, um, having affairs with one another's wives, husbands, you know, uh, and all the rest of it, which I always used to think was a, was a Tory thing. I thought sex scandals were mostly in the Tory party. They seem to be more in the Labour party these days. It makes you wonder whether or not this uh, sex ban is is aimed at trying to persecute the bedrockers <laughs> of the Labour party. Well, you know, that's not, that's not a bad thought. So, Kevin, what's your second one? Um, 
Uh, this is a guy that most weeks could uh, win Plank of the Week. Uh, he's an expert on the subject. Uh, BBC Director General Tony Hall. Uh, <laughs> the reason is, I mean, I'd like to nominate Emily Maitlis, but she's probably one for last week. Yes. Um, uh, for her Newsnight rant, which showed no objectivity at all, which the BBC uncharacteristically, very swiftly afterwards, came right out and said that breaches our impartiality rules. Now, at the BBC, there is no greater crime than that. They are obsessed with impartiality, basically because they're not very good at it. Uh, but they, are, they want to uh, give the image that they are totally impartial and unbiased. Emily Maitlis obviously disgracefully... Uh, rode a coach and horses through that and just gave us her own opinion that we apparently, as a nation, were all furious about Dominic Cummings and we're all angry about uh, the Prime Minister's blind loyalty to his right-hand man. Now, that was her opinion, and that's not fact. So she did break the rules. She was immediately denounced for breaking the rules by the BBC. Uh, then she announced that she was taking the next night off uh, amid all the flack and, in fact, took all the night's off uh, for the preceding week until this week where she's back on air. Nothing's happened to her. So what's the point of the rules? What is Director General Tony Hall, the man who runs the BBC, going to do about one of his major broadcasters, one of the stars of the corporation who broke the sacred backbone rule of the BBC? What's he going to do about it? So far, it looks like nothing. So what's the point of the rules? Well, also, I found it rather bizarre. Uh, I don't know about you, Emma, that uh, that she decided to give herself the night off. Uh, then didn't she appear. Says she, did, yeah. uh, she says she did, and then the person who filled in for her said, "Oh yes, well, of course, I would never have done the job unless uh, she had given me her blessing." I mean, is there anybody actually running the BBC at all, or do they just do what they want? They they, they were saying that um, that it wasn't Emily Maitlis's fault. That this is uh, something that obviously the editors will have seen uh, what she was supposed to be saying in advance. But she obviously doesn't take it very seriously either because in response to some of the Twitter support she got, she was it, it seemed quite clear when she was thanking her supporters on Twitter that she thinks that it is appropriate for her to share her views in that way. So regardless of whether or not this is actually the editor's fault or the BBC's fault more broadly, um, it's quite clear that she thinks that her job is to perform these sorts of stunts that make her go viral, entirely sort of self-indulgent mm. um, exercise for the social media age, rather than trying to do her job, which is supposed to be delivering impartial yeah. news. What yeah. an absurd thing to say that, that, that it's, not, not, it's not her fault, that it's nothing to do with her. What is she, a glove puppet? <laughs> I mean, she's sat there and delivered that soliloquy. Uh, she's... You know, she's an Oxford or is it Cambridge ed educated, you know, highly qualified, uh, uh, serious journalist. And she knew what she was doing. So I don't buy that it's not her fault. Uh, what are the BBC going to do? What is the BBC going to do about this? And Tony Hall has got to, uh, uh, for once in his useless life, look as if he's got any power. And this programme, Newsnight, generally, they've got to get to grips with. I mean... You know, this is the programme uh, where their former economics editor left to become a full-time left-wing activist. They subsequently hired a guy called Lewis Goodall from Sky News, who's a former Labour activist. The place is a Labour Party central activism 
unit. I mean, it's ridiculous. This pl- this program is not unbiased. It is the home of partiality. Yes, and I think they've done themselves uh, no favours at all, the BBC, because all the people in the government who want to clip their wings have now got great uh, in, uh, ammunition to do so. Uh, and I think also they've had to set the bar now so that uh, although you say nothing's really happened to Emily Maitlis, they're now going to have to tell every single broadcaster, and I hope that would include Andrew Marr, uh, that basically they can't get away with it anymore. They're going to have to be as neutral as they could possibly be, which I think, Emma, a lot of them will find very difficult. Yeah, especially Emily Maitlis, because they, I don't know if you saw that Guido um, did an analysis of her last 100 tweets and retweets and found that 96.8 of them were anti-Boris. Yes, um, yes. I, I, I think part of, part of the reason why um, it seems that these journalists enjoy these platforms is because they see it as a way um, to go through with their activism. Um, well, they're, they're, and so, they're, they're actually the staff of Newsnight are some of the very, very few people in this country who can afford to be socialists. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing. Well, I'm going to go for another champagne socialist for my second one, and it's Jolian Moron, as I like to call oh. him. Uh, his real name, of course, Joe Morm QC. Uh, who, animal you, killer. Uh, who's animal, one, he's an animal killer. Two, he's blocked me on Twitter. And he occasionally unblocks me in order to accuse me of libeling him. Now, I then point out that I haven't libeled him at all. Uh, and in Good fact, uh, that, you know, uh, he really needs to read up on the libel laws. I mean, the number of these QCs who have no clue about libel law staggers me, right? Um, yeah. But uh, he has, believe it or not, launched, launched himself at yet another um, lawsuit against the government. I can't actually remember what the details of it are, but he launched it last week. Something to do with the coronavirus uh, and, and something to do with the way that uh, the government has been con- uh, purporting itself. But once again, he will have no luck, no doubt. But not only that, but in the last sort of 24 hours, he's written to Matt Hancock in his, in his guise as the guy in charge of the Good Law Project, uh, in which he's basically said, profound restrictions on people's lives, the most profound since the Second World War, have received almost no parliamentary scrutiny, and they are, we believe, unlawful. And so they've written to Matt Hancock saying they need a response within seven days as to what he's going to do about it. Well, I presume, Emma, uh, he's going to do nothing about it because they believe it to be unlawful does not mean uh, that it is actually unlawful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, <laughs> plenty of people have pointed out that there are some issues maybe around civil liberties and so on, but I just don't think that um, a QC writing to Matt Hancock is going to make much of a difference at this stage. Why has he waited until lockdown is starting to be gradually eased right. before... Um, before making this complaint. It's just smacks of him trying to remain relevant, I think. Well, exactly right. And Kevin, I always think that, that, you know, these people who go to the law to resolve everything are the most tedious and most irresponsible people. You know, you cannot run a country with lawyers. I mean, there's too many of them in Parliament already, but you certainly don't want the lawyers outside of Parliament interfering with what goes on inside it, because uh, all you all you end up doing is create a kind of political bleak house where for the rest of time, everything's going in and out of the courts. And that's not what people who vote in elections want, is it? Yeah, it's a bit like, uh, hey, Jolien, can you hear a, a sort of slight scrunching, scrumpling noise in the background and a, and a small thud? That's <laughs> the sound of your letter being screwed up and thrown in the bin by <laughs> Matt Hancock. Right. I mean, it, what's the point? And by the and Jolien Moore, I, ho- I hope, I really hope it, because there's one thing I can't stand is cruelty to animals. I hope at night he lies awake. Uh, um, worrying that he completely ruined his life when he 
bludgeoned that poor fox to death mm. uh, on Boxing Day and then proudly put it onto Twitter because he undermined his credibility as a decent and caring individual forevermore. And uh, everything he ever does, people come in and say, go away, fox killer. Yes. Uh, I certainly try to. Yes. Um, so so, so he, he kind of ruined himself there. Uh, and now he seems like a very unkind man who just wants to cause problems yeah. for other people. I think that's uh, very true. He's, he's a busted flush. I and think. he's always at pains to point out that he's got this thing which he rather, rather interestingly calls the good law project, you know, i.e. everything else that goes on outside of his organisation is bad law. And he's the only guy that's doing any good. <laughs> I mean, he is so deluded and so uh, convinced that he is the sort of the saviour of democracy that he can't see the wood for the trees. Ghastly individual. Um, yeah. And I'm, I hope you're right, Kevin, that he can't ever, ever succeed at doing anything ever again. But the trouble is, he's bankrolled by loads of rich people uh, who fall for this kind of crowdfunding nonsense that he does. And they crowdfund these, uh, presumably these cases in, in places like Putney uh, and places like Sheen and places of, you know, the Labour heartlands, as we now call them, uh, of the sort of uh, middle-class London millionaires. It's quite extraordinary, yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't think Johnny and Moore, in his own mind, he matters a lot. In reality, I don't think he matters no. at all. I just don't think anyone listens to him. No. Now. He's sort well, of he's... like uh, he's like Gina Miller in a kimono, isn't he? Just <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. The lawsuits that come to nothing. You know? Yes. I mean, I would say maybe they're the same person, but we have seen them both in the same press conference, I have to say. So, Emma, who's <laughs> your have. Emma, who's your third uh, nominee? So, speaking of despicable people, um, my, my final uh, nomination is the intolerable lefty bishops. Yes. The Remainers at Prayer who have been behaving like hypocritic Pharisees um, over the last week or so. And, in fact to some degree, over the entire uh, period of lockdown. Uh, so towards the beginning of last week, uh, so slightly beyond the remit of this week's flags, um, some bishops came out and put their um, sort of pitched, pitched into the, the pylon to Dominic Cummings um, with a, a bunch of clearly politicised nonsense. Uh, one of them, uh, the Bishop of Wilsdon, said uh, that Johnson has gone for Trump. Um, Nick Baines, who's well known to be a politicised bishop, um, who previously in 2019 he'd given a speech uh, calling Boris an am an amoral liar. That's um, nice. Has, but he is a very he's very much a do as I say, not as I do, mm. because he then um, was preaching against people using uh, violent bile, as he put it, rhetoric around Brexit. Um, and some of the other bishops as well came out, like the the Bishop of Manchester as well. Um, he he put in his pennies worth as well. Um, and that was all at the beginning of last week. Um, but this weekend, the um, the former Arch uh, Bishop of Canterbury um, wrote uh, an op-ed condemning them for having completely failed to provide any moral or religious leadership throughout this and I think against the backdrop um, of what they did last week pitching in into politics where clearly they had absolutely no business being um, they've been completely silent this week when a group of uh, I think it's about 25 um, prominent religious uh, leaders have uh, put in a, an open letter asking for the churches to be opened um, before they're saying that it would be the 4th of July at the earliest. And the Bishop of London is now saying that we should expect no church services 
um, until... I think it's a great idea. I, I think it should open the churches so that everyone could go in there all next to each other and then pray they don't get coronavirus. <laughs> what do you think? Yes, place your faith in the, in the Almighty. I mean, the thing I find staggering about the bishops is that people say when the bishops say something, it's really, really important. So when they <laughs> give their, you know, they give their rather jaundiced view of the world because they have no experience of the real world, most of them, um, everybody goes, well, look, even the bishops are disagreeing with the government. And you go, well, so what? I don't care. They always I mean, do. Yeah, they exactly. They're all lefties, aren't they? Yeah, do you remember they used to call uh, the Church of England the, the Tory party at prayer? Yes. At a certain point in the last 20 years, it has uh, changed dramatically to the polar opposite. It is now, without a shadow of a doubt, the Labour party at prayer. Church of the Poisoned Mind was an album, I think, by Boy George and Culture Club many years ago. That's what I would call them. But Good Emma, song, that. Yeah, but <laughs> Emma, I mean, here's the thing. The point about the, the bishops as well is that I, I'd like to quite, I'd quite like to get rid of the House of Lords, but if we can't get rid of the House of Lords, can we please get the bishops out of there? Well, the, the hypocrisy, even even just forgetting politics for a minute, of them um, preaching preaching all of this stuff about um, how the how Christianity and, and, and various religions teach that we should follow the law and all of this stuff. But they they have been completely hypocritical throughout. Where they've had they they put a ban on um, on uh, clergy going in as chaplains into hospitals, even though Saint Bart's Hospital actually said that they would provide them with PPE and that they needed some chaplains in the hospital. And the Church of England refused to allow them to go in and refused to allow clergy even to go into their own churches. Uh, meanwhile, the Archbishop of Canterbury apparently had secretly been going into St. Thomas's Hospital as a chaplain. Um, so I, I don't really take a position on the bishop's position in, in politics. But I just think that the, the, the muddling up of, of the separation between church and state, where the bishops think that they can pitch in with their um, lefty activist views on political points, but then have absolutely nothing to say on religious and spiritual matters at a time when you would think that they would probably have a lot to say um, during the coronavirus lockdown. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Who's your uh, Who's your final nominee, Kevin? Uh, it's the voice of an angel, Charlotte Church. There we no go. Longer the voice of an angel. Um, she posted uh, this week. Uh, I mean, we should preface this with the fact that I think all right-thinking people realise it's pretty important to get our kids back to school, partly so their parents can go back to work, but partly because the most important uh, obligation that a nation, a state and families have to children is their education. So we've got to get kids back to school. Um, I understand the health worries and all that, but uh, we all know the truth about that. Kids are pretty safe, uh, particularly if you social distance at school. That's another issue. I don't think that's going to work, but that's another issue. Anyway, Charlotte Church, as parents began to send their children back to school, said, she tweeted this, highly recommend if you can help it, not sending your children back to school tomorrow. This government doesn't give a flying F about you, your children, your elders, or your vulnerable. Resist. Hashtag <laughs> resist. Um, now, uh, that's just some sort of showbiz person who's uh, taken up the Labour lefty mantle and is trying to cause problems for Boris Johnson because it's a politically inspired rant and it shows no responsibility at all. Uh, one one um, parent has... Um, uh, he, he uh, uh, tweeted her back saying, uh, "This is the, uh, 
this is a shocking thing for you to ask. There are many children who haven't had any education for the last 10 weeks. Children need not only education, they need interaction with their school friends. As a mother, I would have thought you would have understood the importance of this, which I think sums up what I want to say. It's like we do not need some showbiz singer who's decided, oh, it's good, I'll be a socialist. I'll, I'll be all left-wing and serious, yeah. you know, even though no one takes it seriously. Uh, we can't have her putting this sort of nonsense out and people listening to her. Hopefully they don't listen to her. I, for one, much prefer Charlotte Church when she was a drunk and always <laughs> a drunk in pubs and in the clubs. She yes. was good fun then. Now she she's was. just an old bore. Oh, it's absolutely right. And also, um, here's the ridiculous thing where she talks about resisting. I mean, it's not Anne Frank we're talking about here, is it? It's not as if you're like hiding in a basement because the horrible Nazi stormtroopers are going to come and kill you. You know, resist what exactly? Resist going back to school. I mean, really? Is that where we are now, Emma? And she's again she's another has been isn't she who's just completely out of touch yeah. um and she's got absolutely no qualification to be telling people what they should be choosing to do with their children the parents are already at liberty to make that decision themselves i don't know why she thinks that anybody would listen to her no, I think that's absolutely right. Now, we're running slightly late now, so I'm going to rush through my last one. My last one is Emma Kennedy. She's been in the list before. Uh, she is an author, apparently. But, I mean, I must admit, even though she uh, won MasterChef, uh, she's written 10 books. Um, she's won Mastermind as well, apparently. I didn't really know much she about her. That. She was on Goodness Gracious Me as well. Oh, was she? Okay. And she used to, I mean, when you did that show with Matthew Wright, she used to come on with him because she was quite matey with him. But she's gone a bit mad lately, and she's basically blocked everyone from talk radio after she got slagged off by Dan Wooten. She then threatened to sue him, which, of course, there were no grounds for. So she just started blocking everyone who had anything to do with talk radio. But this week, she decided that she's a real, you know, she retweets people like Carol Cadwallader, um, and uh, and what's his face from Newsnight, you know, Lewis Goodall. So you know where we're coming from here. But basically, uh, she put out a tweet that said, you know, I don't trust this government, so I don't care what they say uh, about what's safe to do and what's not safe to do, so I'm not leaving the house. <laughs> so ever again, like, ever again. Well, I mean, congratulations, Emma. And, uh, you know, I, I actually tweeted at her, even though she wouldn't see it because she blocked me. Um, you know, why don't you just stay off Twitter while you're at it and then you won't have to bore the rest of us to death with all of your rather ridiculous lefty views. I mean, you do wonder where these people come from. Emma? She's, she's a, I think she's 52. She's a 52-year-old woman that spends every waking minute um, on Twitter yes. and, and obsessing about things that, as you say, talk radio have said about her. Um, she is completely mad and unhinged i think um the 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 way that she um she seems to tweet every every five minutes um so yeah Please be, be my guest. Yes, well, we're going we're gonna to keep her short because you guys have been on this show before. You know how it works now. So what we have to do is cut it down uh, from three each to one each. Um, so, uh, Kevin, why don't you pick your favourite one of the three that Emma's given us uh, and see which one you go for. All right, remind me of Emma's again. Um, Emma's, Emma's got the Bishops. Uh, she's got Alistair Campbell uh, and she's got Rosie Duffield. Um, Pretty good list. I think I'm going to go for Alistair Campbell. Yes, I think that's probably wise. Um, so I'll pick uh, from yours. I, uh, uh, actually, um, no, Emma, why don't you pick mine and see which one of mine you like? I've yeah, got. You yeah, me? I've got. Um, uh, where are we? Julian Moron, the Durham Police, and Emma Kennedy. Emma Kennedy. So Emma Kennedy it is. So she goes into the final three, uh, and then I'll pick yours, Kevin. Uh, tell us your three again. Uh, 
um, Ed Davey, yeah. uh, Director General of the BBC, Tony Hall, and Charlotte Church. I think it's got to be Tony Hall, isn't it? That's probably the yeah, best I one. Yeah, I like that. So Tony like Hall, that. so the finalists now, Tony Hall, Alistair Campbell and Emma Kennedy. That's a pretty good top three, I have to say. Uh, who do you think <laughs> we should make number one, Plank of the Week? Um, well, personally, it was my choice. Uh, I think it's direct, uh, Tony Hall. Uh, he's been lamentable in the uh, Emily Maitlis saga, hasn't really said anything. Yeah. Uh, a real dereliction of duty once again by a man who never does anything and has let the BBC slip and slide further into more murky, impartial water. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd be happy with that. How about you, Emma? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, I think, and then we'll put Alistair Campbell second and move Emma Kennedy out into third. So that's that's Plank of the Week, Tony Hall, Director General of the BBC. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, I will speak to you soon.